Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress, a podcast conversation about our men and women in law enforcement and the challenges they face. With lead stress coach and founder of Under the Shield Foundation, Susan Simmons, and Arizona police officer, Ace Walker. Well, welcome to Fight in Progress. Glad to have you back, Ace. You hadn't been fired from anybody else. I'm not working for anybody else. That's probably why. And I hadn't fired you from the podcast, so you're actually doing... You're on a roll here. Of course, we didn't do a podcast last two weeks either. That's true. So there's always time today for that to change. Yeah, but you don't pay me, so I'll just show up anyway. Well, that's true. And I wouldn't know what to do with all that stuff if you got up and walked out. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what episode this is. 30-something. Me neither. Yeah. So it don't matter. It's a, it's good. <laughs> we're, we're, we're more than 20 in. Yeah. More than 30 in, probably. We're still alive. Yes. Yeah. And they have not the... Whatever that monitors these things hasn't cut us off the air yet. Yeah, we have like a like a thousand listens. No kidding. Yeah. Still got our overseas guys? I think so. Yeah, we had two from Brussels. I still got a little red dot on that map that says that there's somebody over there still listening. So. I think they need to spread that love around that country somewhere. <laughs> well, you need to start learning to speak their language. I don't, know I don't even know what they speak in Brussels. I don't know. Google there's Translate. homework for you. Okay. Anyway, welcome to the show today, gentlemen. We have two... Um, of my favorites, of course, oh. they're the only ones in the room at the moment, but um, from oh, Tempe, <laughs> now you lost that status when you lost your law enforcement Damn. job. <laughs> Sorry, you got you got to get a badge again before I like you. <laughs> but now we have two with us from Tempe, Arizona. That is Arizona, it, in so. case you didn't know. I, yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I'm just the idiot with the technology. On You're there. right. But we have a lieutenant with us. Actually, somebody with a little higher ranking than we normally have. I don't, have we had a lieutenant? It, uh, We've had sergeants. We had a colonel. Retired colonel. We had a lieutenant colonel. We Yeah, but not law enforcement. But the retired colonel is now the commissioner. I forgot to tell you. Our friend Jim in Alaska. in Alaska is now the commissioner of public safety. Oh. Yeah, we had him when he was a retired colonel. I'll delete that recording. Yeah, we should. No, we'll have getting back on here again. <laughs> I didn't call you sir when you walked in. I didn't know you were a lieutenant. Oh, you're supposed man. to salute yeah. or something, aren't no, you? I didn't see nope. the bars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. He, he's incognito uh, today. That's always the intent, man. Well done. Just, sometimes the formalities just cloud things. So. Fair enough. So yeah. it's Lieutenant Raj Johnson. And if we find out later we have to cut their names, we will. It depends <laughs> on how the podcast goes. Yeah, I'll need to know that. Are we good with names? It, is that okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Fine. Cool. Yep. All right. Absolutely. And Tom, cool. you're a sergeant. Yes. Yes. Oh, we got. Oh, we got two management on the couch. That's almost <laughs> uncomfortable here. For me. For all of us. Because I'm always <laughs> going to say something wrong. Of course, I called a commander from Phoenix. Uh, I called an assistant chief at Phoenix PD a commander. Oh. My bad. Were they, oh, were they offended? <laughs> it happens. I know. Actually, I thought his response was really good, and it was Sean Conley, and I really like Sean. But everything I knew about him, he'd been a commander, but that was three years ago. So apparently I'm out of the loop at Phoenix. My guys aren't keeping me up to date on promotions like they should. And his response I thought was excellent. He said it's about results, not salutes. And I thought, did he really think I was going to salute him as assistant <laughs> chief anyway? <laughs> they all have delusional moments. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show, gentlemen. I hope you've at least listened to one or two episodes. I have. You have, Same Raj. Here. Same here. I hope y'all at least listened to your episode about our buddy, Chris Ferrara. Yes. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today, a little reminiscing mm. about Chris. Because I know, I know Tom met Chris. Correct. Worked with him. Right, worked with him. And then, Raj, did you? how did you meet Chris? I came across, Chris and I met, um, <laughs> a funny story. Um <laughs> So Chris and I met through the security team at uh, church, at Compass Christian Church. And um, I had just, you know, started the security ministry and uh, it had been there, but we we're just growing it. And uh, we started putting plans in place in case somebody got disorderly in church. And so we probably at that time maybe had um, probably eight to 10 people that were part of the, the team and they were spread out on campus. And so on Easter about, uh, Four years ago, four Probably. or five years ago, yeah. somewhere around around there, yep. um, Pastor uh, Brian was doing his sermon, and uh, right about the end of the sermon, um, I hear somebody in the back of the audience with a big booming voice yell, um, "Pastor, Pastor!" 
And it was just instant, like, hey, that is not right. And so um, I immediately posted to the stage, which alerts security that, hey, something is not right. And my job is there for for Brian to escort him off the stage and be his escort and get him out of, you know, the church if something was to to go down. Sure. And uh, so when I got to the front and I posted, super nervous, started this security team. (laughs) Didn't know what was going to happen, and uh, I just started scanning the audience, and I see uh, one of the another executive pastor was trying to talk to the gentleman, but you know he was six four, probably like two eighty, and uh, he starts making his way down to the front, and then I look over to out to like my, my right into the audience, and I see this gentleman stand up strong, and start immediately going back to where the problem was at, and as soon as he stood up, I was like, oh. Thank you, God. That's a cop. I know it. I know that's a cop. Yeah, he'd be hard to mistake as a police officer. That's for sure. He just he moved with so much authority. Yep. And and seriousness. And there was another gentleman that was right behind him. Same authority. Same same direct. Like that hey, Ron? that was Ron. <laughs> that was Ron. So Ron was right behind Chris. Chris stood up and he actually went directly to the back and started working that problem. And ultimately, it got resolved, and um, I ended up just seeing him outside the church, and I just went up to him right away. I was like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So much. And so I was like, hey, what a great guy to be on the security team. Well, I go, hey, uh, Chris, would you would you join the security team? We'd really love to have you. And Chris is bravado. Nah, man, I'm undercover. I don't want to do anything with that, man. <laughs> Nothing with that. Yeah, so, undercover. Yeah, he's like, oh, no, nope. I'm just hanging out. So that was my first interaction with Chris. And I could see like right away, like, you know, he was definitely like that guardian warrior type of guy. But yet, you know, he just, there were some intensities about him also. You sure. know, I could tell that he was a lion, you know what I mean? And it's, it's rare, like in our profession, you kind of know when you look at somebody, like if they're the real deal Yep. or if they're not. So. And then how long before he actually did join our security team? I think it was maybe a week or two later that he actually joined the security team. I think he got nudged by Ron. Sure, and, sure. And just coming into church and just um, volunteering and how important that was. And so we linked up over coffee, and that's kind of how our relationship started. Um, but it w- it started more because he was still trying to just working through. yes darkness right Absolutely. and just working through that and um and i um was like on the out on the outside of my darkness you know and mine was um all eternal or internal excuse me mm-hmm. and um so i had i was just in a different space and so it was perfect that you know we had linked up and so um we met over coffee and we just started chatting and we got him plugged into the security ministry and I just remember, like, maybe a couple of weeks after him just rotating into security ministry and just being around the church that, like, he just completely just opened up and was just, like, just happy. Yep. And some of the things we talked about, like, you know, anxiety, for one. Yes. Right? I mean, that plagues cops, just anxiety. You don't have to go through a lot to, you know, to have it. You know, just yeah. the job itself, right? And y'all don't hang around in the locker room talking about, hey, how's your anxiety today? And, <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't know why y'all don't do that. Firefighters yeah. probably do. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But anyway, yeah. but I didn't know you had been in a dark place. See, I knew I'd get you on this couch. <laughs> See, th- yeah. what you didn't know is this was all a master plan hey. <laughs> to get you on the couch to see how we could help. Yeah. And here I am. And Ferrar's up there laughing oh, now going, yeah. see, I knew He's I'd like, get him yeah, there eventually. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, he's responsible for both you men being in my life. Because mm, yeah. I wouldn't have met either yep. one of you. I met yeah. Tom, of course, after Chris's death. And mm. Chris's parents said, oh, you got to meet this guy. And I think he they had already told you to call me. Correct. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to recruit the sergeant as soon as he retires and... 40 days, 6 hours, 28 minutes, 37 <laughs> seconds, whatever it comes down to be. We're going to recruit you in. Whether you knew it or liked it or not, it doesn't matter. Sounds good to me. Because, again, that's a huge voided under the shield right now with Chris gone. But 
Tell us a little bit about your experiences with Chris, if you can repeat those uh, on the air. Well, Fortunately, Chris, we don't have any FCC rules, regulations. <laughs> Chris was anything. quite the character, that's for yeah. sure. Um, we worked together uh, when I first uh, worked for Chandler, mm-hmm. and there was one call that I, I, I won't forget. It was, um, it was an alarm at a house, and so Chris and I were dispatched, and another uh, officer, a female officer, her first name was Amanda. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us get there to this house and we're checking the outside of the house and it's all secure until I go around to the back door and has one of the sliding Arcadia doors and I grab onto the door and it opens. And so I let Chris and Amanda know. And so they come around to the back and this Arcadia door has a doggy door on it. So it only opens up. Uh Oh, a small distance, let's say. I see disaster. <laughs> Too small of a distance, I will roar. say. So Chris and Amanda, they walk right in. And I have my exterior vest on and I go to get in and I'm, I turn sideways and I get halfway and then I'm stuck because of the equipment on the vest, you know. Yeah, and for the listeners who can't see, Tom... Or- Tom, right? Yeah. Is, is a stout fellow. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now I'm stuck in the door. Well, Chris and Amanda are inside this house, not checking to see if there's anybody else in there. Oh, they're too busy, They're too busy laughing at me and saying, come on, come on, Tom, get inside here. So finally, I, I yelled to them to just go open the front door for me. And I managed to get unstuck outside. And so I had to enter the house on the... Do the front door, so you're lucky funny. they didn't have body cam. Uh, oh, I know. But, yeah, this was pre body cam. Yeah, yeah. body cam. But you know, it's uh, like I told you the other day. I said, you know, Ferrar needs to understand he has abandoned me now, and so now all bets are off. <laughs> we get to tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> oh, man. And, and he's up there scratching his head now, going, "Oh, I wonder what that means." Yeah. You never know. It's a slow trickle, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Give, it time. Give it time. But he right. is definitely missed. And uh, you know, it's funny all the different things that are coming about now and happening because of one man in my life for those six and a half years. And I'm sure there's been a lot of that. Now, are you the one who told the story? at church um maybe at the vigil mm-hmm. about the look he used to give oh yeah yeah you know he just gave you that look well first off you know it's for me it was always like i'm just at church you know that security you know and um in the lobby of the church and i'd be scanning the audience and just scanning like the crowd and just looking at people's faces and as i'm scanning my face would constantly or my eyes would just sweep around and it would just catch chris staring at me with these crazy <laughs> eyes just staring at me and his face was like you could see the intent of like him just wanting to come over and just like thrash me you know and and i would just look at him and go no no chris you know and then he'd come over and he'd just walk over get super close and get in my ear and go you know i can take you right you know i can take you and so it was just constant with that like he'd constantly sneak up fake gummy behind the back you know like, i don't have eyes behind my back you know and he just yeah. fake gun me and they just constantly or he'll grab my arm and try to put me in an arm bar yep. you know in the lobby you yep. know hundreds of people moving around he's oh, just yeah. like just just like that all the time man super fun we'd laugh over it i think those were two two of his favorite phrases were you know i can take you yeah and then the other one with me was she got no proof (laughs) those were his two things (laughs) and you know ace didn't get to know uh chris as long obviously yeah just some conversations here worked together with a little bit of stuff yeah when he became the co-host here yeah and uh like i said he it was interesting to have chris on this podcast because he either took the stance that he was here to interview me, <laughs> which was kind of like, I don't think that's your purpose here, big guy. Yeah, he, he would decide on the fly. It was pretty fun to watch. Yeah, it really was. And uh, but uh, you know, there are, I know there are a number of people of out that are out there whose lives that he really touched, yeah. and we got calls for weeks after his death. Was that our Chris? People mm-hmm. that he would have reached out to up north. He. He really had an impact, I think, on more lives than even he realized, I think. Well, for sure. Well, I mean, one of the biggest things I've learned from working with you and Chris and people like us was that 
I'm not special, right? I mean, th- seriously, like I sat on that couch where the LT is sitting right now, and I looked oh, yeah. at you and I was like, I just thought I was different than other people. And, and I, I think, said, and, and you said, yeah, you're not that special. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think a lot of us just feel that way that we're just a little different, you know, cut a little bit different, and that's why we do what we do because we feel kind of separate. But it's stories like his and understanding, like, because Chris and I had a lot in common. Yes. Right? As cops or whatever, right? We like a lot of the same things. And to hear his story and to realize, like, I'm, I'm the same as him. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we dealt with similar things. He, he dealt with deeper, darker things than I have dealt with. Well, you didn't have as many years in the industry. Right. Or you could have been and, there also. And I definitely didn't go through what he went through with right. those, that death and everything else and his family. And so there was a lot going on. But to realize that, like, we're all the same. Like, I've said this before. And I, I don't know if y'all are Christian or not. But yeah. I, well, I know you yeah. are. You work security at the church. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. No, he, he's an atheist, but he works security for us. Hey, don't tell anybody. Brian Doble would be very happy to hear that. Yeah, I've, I've heard weirder atheist arguments. Um, <laughs> but, like, for me, the, the biggest thing that was hard for me to understand in Christianity, I've only been Christian for 11 years. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that was difficult for me to understand was uh, during the whole atonement, right, when Christ dies and he, or he suffers and then he dies, where they say that he took upon him all the sins of man and suffered all the pains that we suffer. That didn't make sense to me, right? I'm a man of science. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. And then working here and dealing with Chris, I started to understand that all our problems are the same. We just They have different faces and they, they have different sources, so we think they're different. But we're all suffering the same crap. Pride and anxiety and stress and depression, whatever. It, it all comes down to the same roots. And when we tell these stories, it brings us all closer to that truth of mm-hmm. everything can't, comes from the same place and we can help each other. Sure. Because when you're sitting in a car drinking birthday cake vodka, you certainly don't think that there are other people that are going through this. Right. right. You know what I mean? You think this, I, this is it. I can't help myself. No one else can help me. And I'm making everyone around me suffer. So yes. I'm, I'm going to stop this. Mm-hmm. See, and now you're letting out all my secrets here. People think I'm good. And the reality is, is this, I have the easiest job in the world. Yeah. Just different names, different faces, yeah. mm-hmm. same stuff. Yeah, right. You know, it, I laugh at some of the Phoenix guys, one of whom we've had on here, and mm-hmm. he says that when I die, they're going to stuff me and put me in my chair because they're still going to need help. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to record this stuff. <laughs> I've already and made they, the phone calls. And they, <laughs> I'm not coming to see the stuff, Susan. I saw, I'm just <laughs> But we're going to have recordings, and it'll be lesson one or five or uh, seven because it's the same yeah. stuff over We'll get the face over. right. Don't worry. It'll be scowling. <laughs> holding, yeah. holding my red man stick like this. It'll be angry. It'll be angry. And, and, but, you know, in Chris's whole story, did you know Chris, Tom, during his dark days? Were you close to him, or were you... When were you working there? How long ago? Um, that was, like, back in 2003 time frame. Okay, so way when before. I started with him, yeah. So I knew him before that. Right. Um, when he was going through that, we, I mean, we would talk often, but mm-hmm. I knew something was going on, but he never really opened up, opened up right. to that right. with yeah. me. So. And, and, you know, and the, I laugh about Chris, because honestly and truthfully, when we first met, he had no intentions of opening up to me either. And the more you get to know me, and I think he's already figured out, and I know he's figured it, he has firsthand experience over here <laughs> talking about Ace. Um, Chris thought he was going to come in and basically blow smoke and get his way, and that lasted about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And like I shared it at the funeral, it was so funny to see him plop down in his fit self, you know, and, and Chris was an intimidating sized mm-hmm. guy. And he sat down and <laughs> crossed those arms and I immediately said cut that out and man those arms went straight down by his side he's looking at me like I don't know why I just did that but I did (laughs) and and it took him a little while but the reality is is that I I admire him so much because of where he was and that he was so willing to share his story Right, right did he ever really break it down for you Raj yeah, he did. Um, I don't know it like you would probably know more, but he did, and that was one of the things that I instantly connected with with him, with him, with Chris, is because of how vulnerable and how open he was about his story. Like he didn't leave out any any details. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just raw. This is who I am, and to see who he had become, it was it was just 
inspiring. It's just crazy. It's just, it's moving. It's inspirational. It's all that, the redemption. Um, You know, it's just, it's just crazy. And that's what I appreciate because cops don't do that. You know, it's rare that you find a cop that says, hey, here's, here's who I am. Mm -hmm. Here's the the baggage. Here's the hangups. Here's the the darkness I was in, but this is where I'm at now. And you don't see that. And and we all, I think we all understand there's fear. Yeah. But I think that's why it's so important to us at Under the Shield to keep his memory alive and keep talking about him. Good heavens, he's in my house every day (laughs) harassing me somehow. (laughs) Um, He's doing some pretty good stuff and some pretty cool stuff too. I didn't even get to share with Raj, but Tom was actually in the office. But two weeks ago, we got an email Mm. at Under the Shield about a small family foundation Mm. that wanted to make a donation because they'd heard about Under the Shield through Chris's media coverage after his death. And they said, we want to give you a $10,000 grant. And I was just, we don't get things like that here very often. And uh, so anyway, they said, we'll be voting on it on like the 29th. Yeah. So the 29th, I found out I lost a $15,000 training down in Louisiana oh. that was supposed to be the first week of August. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of a Big, little hard yeah, one. Bummer. And then two days later, I get the email that they, this small family foundation was so impressed with our mission statement they were now giving us $25,000. Oh, that's, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And I said, the math wow. is not the coincidence. Right, right, it's just not. Right. And I said, Ferrari's up there patting himself on the back now <laughs> going, yeah, okay, this is me, Susan. Yeah. And uh, But it's things like that that continue to happen mm-hmm. at Under the Shield. That's great. Because of Chris. Mm-hmm. And, and even in that tragedy, mm-hmm. there was something that, again, makes us want to make keep him alive here. Mm-hmm. And keep his memory because his story is so profound mm-hmm. that I think it can touch so many lives mm-hmm. of people nowadays. Sure. Because they need to know it's okay to say I'm not okay right. in this industry. Right. And for too long, that's been the big taboo thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking with another officer the other day from another agency that was in a similar place to Chris. Mm-hmm. And I was able to share Chris's story too. And, we were talking about how it's looked at as so much of this is about mental illness. And I said, look, you guys are crazy. That's a given. Mm-hmm. It, there's nothing on paper that says this is the job for me. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> Not when you are honest on paper. No. But I said, it's the crazy factor that makes you want to do this job. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people too often in mental health, as good as they are and as much as they want to help, they don't really understand the population. Mm. And I was sharing with the officer, he said, you don't think it's mental illness? Because I think that's what his concern was. He goes, you don't think it's mental illness that's making me feel this way and think this way? And I said, no. Mm -hmm. And I shared Chris's story. I said, if this was mental illness, and I said, and and Chris's story in some aspects is unique, but in most aspects, it's really not. Mm -hmm. And I said, but the the first time Chris really thought about suicide, he was going to jump off of an overpass. He tells us on our podcast. And he says the reason he didn't do it, he stood there, but he didn't do it because he worried about the driver of the 18-wheeler he was going to jump in front of. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's not mental illness. That's a good person who's hurting and doesn't know where to turn for help. Right. Mm-hmm. And the look and the difference in this officer's face when I said that was the hope that he needed. Mm-hmm. That was all that it was. And then explanations of sleep issues and all these other things. and. This is where I, I think Chris's story can resonate with somebody because we're talking about an officer now that at his death was the most decorated officer mm-hmm. in the history of Chandler Police Department. Mm-hmm. Which well, I never knew. <clears throat> I think I knew Chris for about a year and a half before he even told me yeah. that he had like four life-saving awards. Yes. I just, uh, and I never knew. And I was like, Chris, bro, what are you doing, man? Come on, man. Like, yeah. Honey, wear those things on that chest. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, and when he shares those stories, I mean, those life-saving awards, they, like, they sound cool, right? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. cool. No, he, he did some stuff, and he saw some bad things in order, yeah. you know, to, you know, get those awards, you yeah, know? those are not just, those don't just happen all the time. Right, right, right. Well, the funny thing is, is being over at his house one day, with his son and and the rest of the family, and they were finding awards none of us knew he got, ever. I think there was a medal medal of honor 
or yeah. that what's the highest award in law enforcement? Uh, Medal of Valor. Medal yeah. of Valor. Yeah. That's what it was. It was a Medal of Valor. None of us knew he had. Yep. And did you, Tom? No. You did any of that ever happen while you were at Chandler and you knew about it? No. Because uh-uh. it just wasn't things he talked about. Right. And well, I, this is this is why I think his story is so influential. Because I mean, you think about like what are influential stories? They're usually like movies or books or something because yeah. mm-hmm. they're. They're fiction because they cover this huge gamut that could like never happen to a person. Right. Yeah. Right. They go from the highest highs to the lowest lows, then they achieve back up the redemption story, like you said. Chris freaking lived it. Yeah. So it, in in the people that knew him, it's like, dude, it's like real life. Like yes. this can happen. So it's a really cool example to see how one man traveled like mm-hmm. through Dante's Inferno and then mm-hmm. back up and survived it mm-hmm. and came out on the other side to tell the story like that's, that's it. it's that's super it. unique so it it hits you because it's real like yes. you know the stories are awesome we love the bible because the stories we love the movies because of these stories and these like, romance and redemption but we know this guy Chris yeah. could have been a lifetime well, movie for we, sure yeah, yeah, right, right. Right. So he was such a girl it really could have been a lifetime yeah, movie such a girl <laughs> yeah so it, it's it, in that way even yeah. though his individual problems were similar to all of ours yes. the sequence of events in his life that yes. led him on the path that he did and then the decisions that he made as a mortal man mm-hmm. full yes. of flaws and problems mm-hmm. is incredibly remarkable yes which that's why it's such a beautiful story yeah and that's he didn't, he didn't want that attention no mm-hmm. That, he never did. I mean, that's why. He, Which again just makes it that much better. Yes. Exactly. It makes it that much right. more true. Mm-hmm. It, and, it wasn't about him. Mm-hmm. It, it was, was. It was, that's the job I do and that's who I yep. am. Mm-hmm. And you know, the coolest thing, it drives me crazy now looking back on it, it was truly an honor. But he would call me and wake me up during the night because of calls he'd gone in. Mm-hmm. But it was never the calls where he had to chase somebody and fight them and, <laughs> and get them in cuffs. It was never that. Yeah. It was always, man, Susan, I see why you do this. Because I just went on a call with a teenager who was suicidal. Yep. And I was able to share my story. He shared those with you, I bet. Mm-hmm. And and he said, you know, and just to be able to sit there and share that and relate to somebody and take them from that dark place to a more positive place. He said, that meant everything to him. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. happened numerous times. Mm-hmm. And he would hear calls and he had deliberately put himself on those things. Now, he still was a badass he would still get out and chase people oh, yeah. and yeah. And, oh. and do that i can oh. take you <laughs> oh yeah I, that was the thing about chris is like you know but to, to your point like that was like all the time like he called and never talked about how many people he arrested yes. how many um warrants he did and how many stolen vehicles. he's never he never talked about that right you know you heard just very little but what he talked about the most is what you said so it was just like how um, he helped somebody yes, or how he helped a fellow officer. He never gave up names. He nope. never did that. Um, but he would say, hey, I, I got a fellow officer. I'm connecting them to Susan yep. and, and I'm, I'm so hopeful they're going to be good. Yep. Hey, I, I got this officer. Hey, they, they, they should be coming to church. And like, it, that's like what he talked about. Like the stuff that it, it just, a, it's, I'm still at awe with it. You I, know? Am too. You know? I am too. I am too. I just, I feel like he understood things on a different level. Like, so it, I keep tying it back to Christianity because I think it's relevant. And I would never have said this with him in the room. I want y'all to know. (laughs) It's like like he understood that like bringing a sheep back into the fold was really just helping them understand that they're just human. That they're not like out on this island of despair. That like, dude, we're all the same. It's okay. Come here. We got you. And he was so good at convincing you of that that you're like, damn, I really think you do have me. Like, okay, I'll trust you. He just made you trust him like that. Like I did. The first day I met him, I was like, I like this guy. Yes. Like, you couldn't help yeah. but like Chris. Yeah, right. <laughs> you really couldn't. And, yeah. and you know, and even when he went through the dark time that got darker when he got demoted, because mm-hmm. he was a sergeant when mm-hmm. that happened, mm-hmm. and they demoted him. And to hear him even several years later talk about what the blessing that was, mm-hmm. and it really and truly was, because mm-hmm. it put him in a very unique position mm-hmm. with officers, especially mm-hmm. young ones. Mm-hmm that they knew he had the knowledge and understanding of a sergeant, but he didn't have the same requirements <laughs> of reporting and those kinds of things, which is why Ron Emery and I would threaten him within an inch of his life if he promoted or tried to promote yeah. again, yeah. because he really and truly was in the perfect place to help people. Right. Mm. And that's why they trusted him and then would come here, because they trusted him. They weren't sure about me. It would take them a little while walking in. They're not 100%. But if Rara says I can go there, then I'm willing to give it a try. And I think that was 
uh, and again, he was such a humble person about it. He never wanted credit for anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And he could have met, we could have medically retired him mm-hmm. after that dark place. But that was never even in Chris's brain to do that. It was to come back. Yeah, we're more of a, I got work to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think that's what he knew without really even knowing it. Because I don't even know that he realized the impact his story would have on people. And that's what I told him when he went back to work. There were officers who called me very angry. Mm-hmm. How can you let him come back to work? I don't want him backing me up. Mm-hmm. And I just kept saying, give him, give him a chance. Give him mm-hmm. a chance. You don't understand. And I told him the first day before he went back, I said, you got to walk in and tell your story. Yeah. Don't let somebody else, because somebody else will tell it with a different spin. It'll be rumor mill stuff. You tell it. Mm-hmm. And he did. And it really didn't take long for people to realize he was different mm-hmm. and that he was in a really good place getting even better. And it was fun to watch that. Mm-hmm. I went on a few ride-alongs with Chris that I have to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> and I've done a lot of ride-alongs in yeah. this country. Well, it's, it, it's crazy to think, because like, I, I get the, the mentality of like, so say somebody I worked with close went through what Chris went through. right? Mm-hmm. They didn't, but let's say they did. I get the idea that, okay, that guy's like chaos now. I can't predict what he's going to do. It's... So that's just, it, it's unreliable, it's unpredictable, so it's dangerous. Sure. I get that initial response, but to have him walk through that, like all the chaos, right? Yes. Like, couldn't find a gun on his lap, come on. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then for him to be able to turn it around and work and be functional and then be a respected officer, Yes. I mean, it, it's just unlikely. Yes. It's right. just so unlikely. So it's like, look, guys, I get it that you that you didn't trust it at first. I mean, but good on you for giving him the chance because yeah. right. that's that's cool that he was able to turn it around. But, I mean, that's so unpredictable. And I do think some of it, too, though, were officers who probably were in a similar place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that felt like they had to say mm-hmm. that so nobody would think they were in that kind of place because well, I usually same. find the ones that need me the most <laughs> are the ones who object to me the most. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I always love to, to do that in trainings <laughs> and wrap it up at the end with the trainings of, yeah, and if anybody walks out of here complaining about this class who didn't stand up or speak up or ask questions or whatever, yeah, that's somebody who needs me. You want to talk about shutting people <laughs> down. <laughs> it's priceless. And Chris used to love that. <laughs> and he would play into that. Mm-hmm. But I think he just had such a way of reaching people through humor, even if it mm-hmm. was sick, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if it was, I'm going to take you. Oh, yeah. And he could stuff. take me. I, it was no doubt about <laughs> it. I, I never at once thought, like, I could take Chris. It was like every time he was our bar me, I was like, don't go too hard, you know? <laughs> like, you know? I mean, I, and I did know he was a, but triple, I don't know the terminology, but black belt, yeah. taekwondo, something. something. Yeah, he was yeah. big yeah. in taekwondo. Yeah. And did he ever do you that way, Tom? Did he, yeah. Is that one of his lines he'd used with you? Or no, not? he never, I don't remember him ever saying that he could take me, <laughs> but he would definitely come up behind you and grab you and put yeah. you in an arm bar and stuff, yeah. Because <laughs> he just was always goofing off, you know. Yeah, he's like that goofy cousin. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like, Get me out of the headlock, man. Come on. <laughs> Let me go. What do you want me to say? Right. And you know, he was always, uh, it wasn't the first time we were called the emergency room. Mm. You know, Chris was, seemed mm. to find things or things found him I guess you know I remember the time before obviously this one was when he was in that wreck mm-hmm. and somebody ran a light and hit mm-hmm. him and spun him around mm-hmm. into a light pole or something mm-hmm. and I got a call from I think it was his lieutenant and said yeah Farrar's in the ER and he said to call you I said does he want me to come and I guess the lieutenant asked him, and all I heard in the back was, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. So I got in the car and went down there in the middle of the night. And it was really funny because he was laying there, and there were a bunch of cops, and his parents were in the room. And we're all laughing and joking. We're just completely ignoring Chris. And you could hear him over there periodically. He'd need something. (laughs) Yeah, okay, we'll get to you in a minute. (laughs) But it, it it wasn't a place that was foreign to us to go for him. And I don't know if he was always that way. Was he was he an accident prone kind of guy when you worked with him? Because that was no, way I, before I got out here. No, he wasn't accident prone. I wouldn't say that. Did you know him on bike patrol? Uh, he he was it when we worked together. It was in regular patrol, but okay. he, he went to bike patrol while I was there. I yeah. just 
it kind of gives me a queasy feeling to think about Chris Ferrar on a bicycle. <laughs> it would bother me to find him on a motorcycle. That probably would not have been a good combination either. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and so I really can't, I just keep thinking about him on a bicycle with no protection. And he survived. Yeah, but he never talked much about bike patrol. He did enjoy it. <laughs> But there was not a lot of conversations about it. If he was quiet about it, he probably did some cool stuff. He probably did. You're absolutely <laughs> that's right. That's the stuff he doesn't talk about. And, you know, one of the things we were working on that I'm going to continue to pursue in his honor, and I don't know if he ever talked to either of you about it, but your motors, Tom, and but we had talked to Jason Schechterly about this. We have a theory about how cops, and maybe regular people, but cops in particular, deal with anxiety. Mm. And Chris was a driver. He would drive, and I'd get so frustrated with him because he'd call me in the middle of the night and he'd be in Flagstaff. I'm like, really? And you, what do you want me to do exactly? And I'd go find the south, <laughs> part of 17 or whatever your own, come back this way. But we started talking about it. And in your time, again, that I know absolutely nothing about the dark place you're referencing, mm-hmm. did you have anxiety? Oh, completely. Did you drive to I, relieve it? I didn't drive to relieve it. When I, I remember you were telling me about that, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And But the way you explained it um, about, yeah, just being in control, it feels like you're just in control of something. Yeah. just opened my, my mind going, oh, I, okay, well, I, no, I didn't know that. But, and listening to something, whether it's a music or podcast or something. Yeah, and um, like that drive to and from work is huge for me. Uh-huh. So that that just totally makes sense and there's there's other stuff that i was doing when i was in in my own darkness and dealing with anxiety about death you know which is is huge it's like hey it, what's am, well, am i gonna is this gonna be my number right mm-hmm. is it gonna get get called and what you leave behind you mm-hmm. know your family you know during that time i was undercover so i was living in this world of um, reality and not reality mm-hmm. you know um you're an, an officer but yet you are playing this character that's you know on the street <clears throat> street level stuff and you know you see things that are just sure. just tough and so it was like it was like that anxiety and it was like hey am, am i a good enough father yeah <laughs> you know am i pouring enough for my kids or you know um, my kids saw me on a bad day you sure. know um and so just dealing with all of that you know and then trying to be functional you know at work and you know, we become good compartmental compartmentalizers until yeah. that door is too full. Yes. You know, and you can't close the door anymore, and you're starting to push out a little bit, and then you start having these these leakages, whatever that you know looks like. And sure. so, um, you know, I had to deal with that stuff. And for me, it was church. Yeah. You know, I so <clears throat> when I and I would share this with with Chris, like in 2008, 2009. When I started going to Chandler Compass, you know, that's that, that was my world. Like I was, um, I'd get, I felt more comfortable at work, you know, oh, at yeah. times, mm-hmm. right? Because I knew that place. Yep. Um, I um, I loved it. Um, at the time, I was on a the, the SWAT team, and uh, we were we were rocking and rolling with search warrants, and mm-hmm. you know that violence and that adrenaline. I was addicted to it and controlled chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then you put me, and then outside of that environment, I was weird. Sure. <laughs> yeah. sure. Right? And I'm sure Tom's the same way on that motor. It's I bet true. you ride that motor like it's a piece of you, you know, right. and it yeah. becomes you. And you know it, man. And I could, that's another world that I don't know about, but I, the similarities, you know. My, my son rides a motorcycle and I just have to tell you, I just think yeah. y'all are weird. So yeah. I, I <laughs> super relate with what you're talking about with your kids and then yeah. work and then how you kind of revert back into like my comfort space is work because this is what I'm good at. Yeah. And I know I'm succeeding here. Yeah. So I'm like, but it, so I want to know for you if it was similar because I'm, I'm doing like an open case study. <laughs> so for me, when I had the epiphany that like, oh, I think I might be failing as a dad, mm-hmm. right? So I had the same kids I had now. Was, I had three kids and I just sort of realized like that I was kind of a despondent father. I was mm-hmm. there, but I wasn't like participating mm-hmm. when I was there. Mm-hmm. And it was like once I realized it, it got way worse. It, like I was trying to like grab onto things and be like, "Oh, I'll do this or yeah. fix that," and it just like yes. exploded out yeah. of control. Yes, was that the same? That's the same. Okay, the what same. the hell? I don't know, but it was the same. And then I started. And it's just like you think that once you you go, "Oh, okay, I need to be better." It's like no, nope, it was just worse. And 
It's like you notice it or something. Because yeah. you yeah. think, at least what I'm used to, is recognize a problem, yeah. come up with a solution, yeah. fix the problem. Yeah. Dollar problem solvers. I, recognize, I recognized the problem. Mm-hmm. I applied a couple solutions, and it blew up in my face. Like, it got How so frustrating. much That's, And then you get so frustrated, right? Because it's I was so like, angry. Um, you know, you're trying to, like, you know, win at home, too. You're winning at work. You're trying to win <laughs> yeah, at home, and, exactly and you right. quite you can't get there, you know? Maybe you're, you're, my daughter didn't didn't necessarily like what I said, or now they're, or my son, or it was whatever, you know? My wife, she's like, hey, you, you can't say that. You're like, oh, man, I'm just trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Hey, you're spending too much time with him now. Now you got to spend it. It's like, yeah. oh, my And then my you goodness. get angry everywhere. Yeah. And then I was angry at work, and yeah. that started to fail, and then that's when the spiral happened, because now I'm not succeeding at anything. Yeah. Right, so that yeah, that's rough. And mm-hmm. this is where the training comes in. Yeah, I keep beating yeah. all over the head yeah. with this. Yeah. Because families have to be taught uh, their part yeah. to oh also know how to make your part yeah. work. Because y'all come home as problem solvers. Right. It one of two things. You either don't want to solve problems because you've been solving them all day long, <laughs> leave me alone. Or you come in critical of the problems we solved because mm-hmm. we didn't do it the way you did it. That's right. And now you're mad at That's us because we shouldn't have done it because it yeah. cost more money yep. doing it our way and we thought we were helping out. But yeah. I think that's exactly it is you treat well your family like a problem to solve. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much more the first way where mm-hmm. when I get home, I don't want to solve any problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let my wife do that. That's that's her job now. You Keep know? in mind, so, audience, right. he is 40 days, some odd hours and minutes from retirement. So that's where he is currently. Yes. But, you know, I have to say that my wife's been very good over the years mm-hmm. because she forces me to talk to her. That's so cool. but I tell is... her a lot of things, but there's still things that I, I won't tell her. Yeah. Because I, in my mind, I have to protect her because I don't want right, her to right. end up like me, you know. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and, See, and, I have the opposite problem. I'm an oversharer. Yes, he is. I don't have a filter or a plug. He doesn't. No. And and you that's know my unemployment situation. That's true. The hair on the back of my neck always stands up when a man says, "I tell my wife what she needs to know." Right. <laughs> and I go. Wrong answer. <laughs> and I'm sure it is. but It's admirable, uh, but it's the wrong answer. But I guess it, I've gotten so comfortable with just keeping things to myself and yeah. pushing them down. But like Susan says, my garbage can is definitely over full now. Yeah, yeah. And, yes, and I didn't, yeah. I've never really dealt with anxiety over stuff. I've uh-huh. always been pretty calm and, you know, things don't bother me too much. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I thought. Yeah, but keep like, telling yourself that. Right. But over the last year, I've noticed that I have a really hard time managing my emotions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do know why. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't know why. Right. You know, and it was really kind of crazy to me because I was, mm-hmm. you know, I'd find myself really struggling mm-hmm. with my emotions and mm-hmm. things from the past. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was just everything coming back up that I've mm-hmm. seen over the years. Did you it know? manifest yeah. as anger? No, no uh, emotion, pure uh, emotion. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Just, just like overwhelming emotion. Right. Yes. And Chris's death was a really hard for me. Yes. Because that was kind of like the catalyst mm-hmm. of it. I knew that I've been struggling over this past year mm-hmm. with my emotions and stuff, mm-hmm. and then Chris was really just that. Yes. Hit, that hit yeah. home. Yeah. You know? So. And what's interesting with Tom is. He still rides a motorcycle. Uh-huh. Had a really bad wreck on a motorcycle. Uh, only one. <laughs> yeah, that was enough. But I don't remember it, so it may not have really happened. It was all right. <laughs> yeah, you were only in a coma how long? Uh, like a week. Oh, jeez. It's a nap. It's yeah. a week out of That's why he looks so good at retirement. <laughs> and yet you got back on that bike. Now, were you with jeez. this wife when you had that? Because this is no, two. I was going through my divorce. That's right. Okay. Do you think if you had been with this wife when you had that wreck that you'd be back on the bike again? Do you think she might have um, had a little more influence and that not happen? I don't know. She's she's very supportive, and I think she kind of is like, if if you're going to be happy, if yeah. that's your happiest place at work doing that, mm-hmm. right. then that's what you need to do. Yeah. She knows that I'll, you know, I try to be as safe as I can. You know, you, you never know what the other person's going to do, though. Mm-hmm. That was always my attitude with the work that Marshall did as an undercover in narcotics in drug enforcement during the early 80s, early to mid 80s. I'm really dating myself now. 
Um, oh, you anyway. mean before I was born? <laughs> <laughs> she put bait. I didn't take it. But good, good job, Bates. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. You're fired. That's, That's what she doesn't pay me for. You just lost your non-paid job. Outstanding. <laughs> and... But that was always my attitude. And again, I think as a Christian that, you know, if that's how he's going to go, that's how he's going to go, right. whatever he's doing. But but talking about the anxiety, did you have anxiety before or after your wreck? I mean, I know you don't remember the wreck, but... No, I, I didn't have any. Um, and I think, like, Tempe was really good with me. They were like, hey, if you want to get back on the, the motor, then go ahead. Mm-hmm. If you don't, we support you. You, can, you know, we'll put you in a car. Sure. Because uh, at the time I was doing a vehicular crimes type position. And my big thing was I wanted to get back on the motorcycle because I wanted to see if it would jog my memory of the wreck. And it didn't. Which it didn't help at all. Mm. No. Really? Not yeah. even going in the location? No. Nope. No memory? Nothing. At all. Interesting. But do you find, though, that riding a motorcycle does help you level out if you have anger or frustration Sure. Or anything so it's... yes because especially on the motorcycle i feel that i am so much in control and i have to be yes. in control of that mm-hmm. and that's because i don't have anything i don't have nothing around to protect me right mm-hmm. and that's the key and that's what chris and i were finding is we were interviewing right. people the loud music that yeah mm-hmm. i mean jason Schechterly said he would ride the city in his car and turn up loud music mm-hmm. chris would listen to podcasts we talked to another member at church, Chip, mm-hmm. who rides his personal motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's that concept of, especially on a motorcycle, you don't even have to be listening to anything because you do have to be so in tune. So your thoughts go to what you're doing, not what could happen that creates the yeah. fear, that right. creates the anxiety. So when you occupy all of those senses, mm-hmm. the anxiety seems to come down. That's exactly it. Consume all the senses. Yes. Just kind of, it bubbles you mm-hmm. up. And that was the theory that Chris and I were working on about how law enforcement, because think of how many police officers do y'all know that do ride motorcycles or that do drive a lot? Mm-hmm. A lot. And yeah. that's, I mean, I, the, the vehicle is your office. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Yeah. You know, what you're comfortable with. But when you think about how much time you spend in a vehicle or in a motorcycle at work, it's really a miracle we don't have more officers injured mm. and mm. killed. Because what is your insurance based on personally? They ask you, how many miles do you drive? <laughs> Can you imagine if I drove as many miles as y'all drove and I had to try to get insurance on my personal car? Right. I probably couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because that's where you're, you're at higher risk. But again... It seems to be a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. for people that have anxiety. And it was interesting to hear different officers talking about it. So maybe you didn't have anxiety because your office was a motor. Right. So you tended to not have that opportunity to have anxiety because that's what you were always on. Because how many years did you spend on motors total? Uh, I started in 1999. <laughs> the only time I was off was for a year when oh, I at Chandler. Oh, really? Yeah, because my first year I was in patrol, and then okay. I went back to motors, and then, and then I immediately and then... left Chandler from a motor and started right back yeah, in motors. Dropped the bike off and picked the bike up. Right. Yeah. Wow. So you got to think about motorcycles. That's what you're telling. Yeah. So when we retire, what happens? Um. Yeah, I've been asking my wife about that. <laughs> she won't give me permission yet. She's, she's like really happy that I won't have that motorcycle in the garage taking yeah. up that space. Uh-huh. Yeah. Until you replace it with But then I told her, you know, I'm going to have to replace <laughs> yeah. that with something because I need that. Yeah. yeah. So you, yeah. Have, you don't own a personal motorcycle? Not right now. No, I don't. Have you in the past? Yes, I have. Yeah, it was really funny. My son, the crazy Marine, he bought a Ducati. And he had had a motorcycle it, I guess his last year of high school that I wasn't real crazy about, but he bought it. And so anyway, he wound up selling it and that was a day mom hit her knees and thank you, Lord. And so I went to Atlanta. Uh, we were meeting in Atlanta and for a family reunion or something and we were at breakfast and he looked at me and he says, I got something to tell you. And I'm thinking, what? And he's probably, I don't know, late twenties now. And he goes, I bought a motorcycle. And I said, oh, all hesitantly, like, when? Yeah. Here's, a, here's a 6 1 Marine infantry. We're all terrified of you, Susan. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. And, um, and he goes, I bought a motorcycle. And I said, when? And he goes, don't ask me that. <laughs> so, when did you buy the motorcycle, Marshall? He goes, 
a month ago. I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he was hoping he'd die so it never happened. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, he bought this Ducati, and of course that's his baby, and it's wonderful and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. But it does give his mother a lot of heartburn and uh-huh. angst about uh-huh. that. Not well, a, my, my know, wife but, said that's the only girlfriend I'm allowed to have. A Ducati. <laughs> 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 you know, at least she's letting you have more. Uh, right. Exactly, right. <laughs> and so what will the girlfriend be when you buy See, it? that's what I told it? her. I said, you're allowing me one girlfriend, so I'm going to have to replace this. <laughs> and you'll have to try out lots exactly. to decide which yeah. girlfriend you really want. going to have to go through the courtship process. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting way to put it. I have to admire her on the whole <laughs> But, you know, I think that as we're wrapping all of this up today, I, I think the, the main thing that all of us really wanted to do was, you know, this is healing. This is therapy yeah. for me mm-hmm. to be able to sit and laugh about Chris because mm-hmm. he was such a major part of mm-hmm. my life mm-hmm. and under the shields. And mm-hmm. to be able to remember fun times and stuff like mm-hmm. that because that, that was a really, that was a tough, tough time. Yeah. And one of the hardest calls I made yeah. was to you, Raj. Yeah. I'll never forget that morning. And I don't want to remember it in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the good stuff. And I think that that makes it really important for us to continue mm-hmm. to talk about him here. Mm-hmm. And the silly stuff he did and the crazy stuff <laughs> and the things that I know he has hidden that I am going to be looking for one day yeah. and not be able to find. And I will be cussing him for that. No, I am just so proud that he tied your shoes. Oh, uh, perfect time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that the best? Oh. He's never done anything even close that to that brilliant. before. Ever. That was brilliant. He's a genius. <laughs> Don't pay. Oh. No, that was, that was divine intervention. It, yeah. it, God it, it was almost like right. he knew. It yeah, was he almost knew. like he knew. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. My, final, my final prank here. Well, like I said, I know there's stuff hidden, and my dog even, even mm-hmm. looks for things that, I, because yeah. he used to hide all that stuff. Yeah. And... It's just, he is going to be, it was like losing four people. Mm. It really was. I said, I lost a co-host on the podcast. I lost a stress coach. Mm-hmm. I lost someone like a son to me. But the mm-hmm. one that I miss the most is that girlfriend because mm-hmm. he was the best girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and he was such a girl at heart. He yeah. really could be. Yeah. That's it's, right. That's right. It's, it's crazy how, like, I don't know why I, I always think of like, it, it, and it's just, I've lost other people. But it's, oh, it's just about something about Chris's death and these conversations that have come from it. I always picture, you know, like you, know, you watch the Discovery Channel, right? And they mm-hmm. show like the, the time lapse of like an animal dying, right? Mm-hmm. And it goes into the earth and then flowers sprout up from mm-hmm. it. For some reason, I imagine that like the yeah. dirt, like there's flowers coming up from mm-hmm. where he died. Yeah. Yep. That there's right. that there's good from that. And we talked about mm-hmm. it on the last podcast that we shot of like normalizing and I'm using my enemy's terminologies here because Uh-oh. because I like to, but we're normalizing speech about these feelings that we have, right? Because yes. it's not normal. Mm-hmm. We know that, right. like not like, for your population. It's, it's like yeah. you said, we don't like go to the locker room and talk about our anxiety, right? Right. right? We're talking about like how kick ass the day was. Right. Yes. We, yeah, I kicked that door down. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but then we didn't talk about like how nervous we were when we went in there and we pointed a gun at a three year old. Right. Right. And you know, and we're just like, oh well, that made me really uncomfortable. Right. Right. We don't talk about those feelings, nope. right? But we're normalizing that here, yes. and I hope more and more people hear it mm-hmm. and that they start to feel like it's more normal, so they'll share a little bit. And look, yes. I, I get I'm a little bit of an anomaly. I sh- I overshare with everything. He really does. There are days <laughs> I, he would come here and I'd want to bring duct tape. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a problem. I'm not the right example, but mm-hmm. I'm an extreme example. Mm-hmm. But if we could all move in that direction a little bit and find balance there. I think we'd all be healthier for it. Absolutely. Cops and non-cops yeah. alike. It, yeah. we, we could all share a little more and realize that we're all a little more alike than we think we are when it comes right. to pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all mortal. With this and Yes. Mm-hmm. Earth is hard. Well, it's like Chuck Mount from mm-hmm. Phoenix that yeah. was on the show a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, the biggest problem in law enforcement is we're hiring humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went, yeah, that's kind of a hurdle we got to figure out how to get over. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but it's true. But I do think... More cops are like Chris in that regard of wanting to talk and get this stuff out mm-hmm. than are not. Mm-hmm. But I think they don't know 
how and where and who and when. Yeah, how is it sure. appropriate? Yeah. What's and the, it not yeah. cost them their job or respect right. or those things. For sure, and, right. and I think that's what made Chris such a a unique person because he wasn't somebody anybody would look at and go, oh, he's just some wimpy, you know, whatever. Yeah. As much as I laugh about him being a girl, because again, he was. He his favorite movie was The Notebook. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, even, seen, I haven't even seen the movie, and yeah. I said I'm the man in that relationship because <laughs> I was never going to watch it. But he loved that movie. But it, it was. It's really, I think, the balance of who he was, yeah. and then his really. His really professing Christ in his life. Oh, my goodness, yeah. In, that was 18, he was baptized, I think. I just mm-hmm. got the video the other day mm-hmm. that I will treasure, and I did threaten mm-hmm. them at Verizon within an inch of their life <laughs> if they delete anything off my phone like oh. that. We're going to oh, have a problem. Yeah. yeah. And um, But I think it was, because I, I think Chris probably always believed. I just don't know that he walked the walk like he has the last few years. Mm-hmm. Right. And he just was so vocal about it mm-hmm. that it was, and it was such a cool way that he did it. Yeah. Well, and it's it's this idea of confronting that darkness inside of him, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So we, we all get that opportunity at some mm-hmm. point, sometimes yes. more than once. Mm-hmm. He had that opportunity. It was pretty obvious, right? When your yep. friend pulls you out of a car. And that's your opportunity to be humble yes. and to self-reflect. Like, mm-hmm. And not everybody does, right? right? A lot of people point fingers, blame everybody else or whatever. You know, we, we do things, we're human, we're broken. Sure. But he took that moment to turn it around and be humble. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that opened that door for him to just do that continually now. Yes. Right. So it that, that's like the beauty of those super dark moments is they open up windows for you to kind of let somebody else be in charge of you. Yes. Right? Yeah. Pointing I, upward. I think uh, Ace said it earlier too, is like uh, Chris was hope. Yeah. Like yes. when you looked at him and when I looked at Chris, Absolutely. you know, he was like hope. Yep. Like cause he had been through like so much and came out through the other side. Like, like and just his attitude. So he yeah. wasn't. Yeah. He was. It wasn't like he was. You didn't look at him and go, he's broke. He was broken. Yeah, he wasn't no. mad about it. Yeah. Right. No, no. So it, he saw it. The whole thing is a positive right. from every it, it angle. Totally he did it at the time. Yeah. And you know, I, when I look at Chris too, I was like, you know what? Um, I like I just admire that what he did because hey, if I I know that hey, I'm looking at somebody that as long as I do what he did to get out, I'm good. Exactly. That's right. the key. Right. Right. Get out. Call who you need to call. Right. Whoever you know. And again, and under the shield, we'd love for people to call us. But if it isn't us, call a chaplain. Mm-hmm. Call your pastor. Call a friend. Yep. Call somebody because yep. there are people you can call. You can talk to, and it's really about just emptying that garbage can. Because, again, you are human beings. We forget to teach you that in academies. And if we don't stop teaching this keep personal and professional separate crap, Mm -hmm. we're going to continue to encourage divorces in this industry Mm -hmm. because that's where a lot of it comes from. Mm -hmm. And, again, Chris could speak on divorce. He had two. And yet he was still very good friends Mm -hmm. with both of his ex-wives. Possible to hate. Yeah, <laughs> as much as he tried, I and I, he could aggravate me to death. But that just, to me, is something that every officer needs to take with them and not see it as an exception. Mm-hmm. That when you do it and you get the right help, you in turn can help others. And that's really, you know, it's it's scripturally sound mm-hmm. in that we talk about, at under the shield, we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And it used to be the top was self-actualization. And I think a lot of people probably became self-actualized. And so they added a new top to it called transcendence, Mm. which is nothing more than getting to that good place and reaching down and pulling somebody else up. Mm. It's scripturally sound. That's Mm. what God tells us to do. Mm. And that's what we we do here at Under the Shield, and that was Chris's main goal. Mm -hmm. That's why he latched onto this Mm -hmm. and Under the Shield for him to be able to do that and pay it forward. Right. And it meant a lot to him to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. He never once, when I called him out a day or night, never once told me no. Mm-hmm. What's the number? I'll call him right now, mm-hmm. every time. And that's part of his legacy. And hopefully those people in turn will turn around and do the same kind of thing. Because, you know, you guys sitting, how long have you got on the job, Raj? 19. When are you leaving? 
You retiring anytime in the next? Do we have a date? <laughs> Is the calendar running yet? Yeah, it's it's starting to. <laughs> <laughs> the department's you. almost on probation. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's almost. <laughs> because it, it's you guys that are going to make the difference here. Y'all are the senior people that have the life experience, the job experience, the ones that have done this job, who can stand up to the younger ones and say it's okay. Mm-hmm. To not be okay. 100%. The the sergeants and lieutenants that had all that time on, the wise ones that yes. came and talked with me, because I, I needed help with certain things. Mm-hmm. And they were able to pull me, and I, I respected them enough, and they changed my opinion, and they changed my actions. Mm-hmm. Yes. They had the power to do that. Mm-hmm. As to where another officer, I probably would have bickered and debated with them for months <laughs> on end, just for the enjoyment. Sure. But, yeah, like like... Iggy, the sergeant. Yes. Like, that guy completely changed the way I looked at my my chain of command, the people that I worked for, the community that I worked for, the way that I saw my job. He yes. completely changed everything mm-hmm. with, like, a handful of conversations mm-hmm. just because I, I watched him work. Mm-hmm. I trusted him because he had a good work ethic. He knew his stuff, so I respected him. Mm-hmm. So when he sat me down, I was like, hey, look, just word to the wise. Here's some things that I do. Try them. Yes. And I and, it's just like the gospel, man. You try stuff out, and when it starts to work, you're like, oh, I got a testimony of that. I believe in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right? It's the same mm-hmm. thing. It, you And you guys do carry that. Mm-hmm. Like, a, tell, a greenie to mm-hmm. two guys sitting on the couch right here, <laughs> you have that power. Uh-huh. Right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just met you guys, but if we had a conversation, I respect mm-hmm. you because of where you came from. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of innate yeah, in that. So it, yeah. is, it is a, it's a gift that you have. And mental mm-hmm. wellness is too important in law enforcement, especially mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And you guys have to step up to the plate mm-hmm. to say it's okay to not be okay mm-hmm. and get help mm-hmm. wherever that is. Right. Because we've kept it in the dark and mm-hmm. it's been a secret. And we've had suicides for many, many years mm-hmm. and all the drinking issues that both of you mm-hmm. know people, mm-hmm. all of that stuff has gone on for too long. This is not because we recruit bad people. Mm-hmm. This is not because we recruit <laughs> right. people more right. prone to alcohol right. and suicide and divorce mm-hmm. and all of those things. Mm-hmm we are not providing Mm -hmm. something that is needed. Mm -hmm. And if it was a gun issue, an ammo issue, a vest Mm -hmm. issue, a taser issue, it'd be done. It would be done (laughs) in a a heartbeat. Now, sometimes y'all are a little slow on the uptick. Um, You know, we can point to to the bank robbers in California and that finally got a little more high power in the vehicles. And we can look at FBI in Miami back then when we went away from revolvers and went to semis and but it would get fixed in a hurry. But mm-hmm. we've been talking mental wellness, and I don't talk mental health or mental illness because that's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. That That's not what is about law enforcement. It's about how do we keep people mentally well mm-hmm. to get through a whole career, to save their families, to save all of it. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing isn't working, mm-hmm. and it's time to change. And you guys have to be charged with stepping up and telling difficult stories mm-hmm. and where you came from. Take Chris's, take the reins, because mm-hmm. Chris is gone now. Like I said, we've, I've never been more blessed to have his story on podcast, on right. audio. But you guys need to honor him in stepping up mm-hmm. and doing this, as hard as it can be. Mm-hmm. It's still the reward, I think Chris would tell you, is so great. Well, I mean, and there's a reason... It. For thousands of years, we've told other people's stories, right? Because we yes. don't always have a Chris story. Right. I haven't lived. I'm I'm not some crazy archetype that I'm like a redemption story personally. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I probably won't be. You're lucky to be alive as many <laughs> right office visits it, as you've had here, fair where enough. you have crossed me. But fair you have she is the most dangerous encounter I've ever had. <laughs> I don't um, mess around. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, Ross uh-huh. learned, and that I learned was my phone times, from a long but, distance. Oh, goodness gracious! <laughs> so it's, it's our job to tell those stories if we've been shared. Yes. those stories right like that's that's what i'm trying to do because yes. i don't have any cool redemption stories personally mm-hmm. but i like telling stories and god knows i can talk yes so i'm gonna take the opportunity i'll come on the show i'll talk to people whatever and you share mm-hmm. the story they don't and like i said they don't people don't necessarily especially off the bat because i just kind of come at them don't respect me immediately because i haven't shown anyone really what i can do right mm-hmm. i'm not I haven't been around long enough to earn that mm-hmm. right you guys have mm-hmm. people in your positions have that's a cool, I can't wait till I'm there mm-hmm. so that I can stand on a stage and be like, I, I earned this. Mm-hmm. So 
listen up. You know, right. it's I want to get there. But mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of sharing stories and helping people understand. Like, that's how we taught for thousands of years. Sure. I think that's what we've fallen away from. We don't sit around a campfire and teach the wisdom of our fathers anymore. Mm-hmm. No, we text it to each other. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, your parents text it. Right. Yeah. So we need to, we need to share With more of that. With an emoji or something. Yeah, yeah, we need to share more of that wisdom. And I think that's what this is all about. That's what it's all about. And I think that can be the healing and the blessing for you guys also mm-hmm. in the years of things that you have had to see mm-hmm. and deal with human pain and suffering mm-hmm. at the worst level that there really wasn't anything mm-hmm. you could fix or do. Mm-hmm. But that to me is where it comes in is when you turn around and use those years mm-hmm. yeah. to then help yeah. somebody else understand what it's going to be about and what they can do and how they can help. Yeah. So basically, I've recruited both of them. You've successfully, but I have them now on audio, going, yeah. "Yeah, that's a great idea. I want to, oh, I want to help cops." And okay, there's stress coach number you, you two. You have officially <laughs> guilt tripped them into yeah. working yeah. for you. Absolutely, yeah. I like it. But we'll give Chris. Welcome the to the team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll give Chris the credit. Absolutely, but we do appreciate everything you guys have done in your careers, for your sure. service. Mm-hmm. And your friendship. Mm-hmm. This is my new friend that uh, Tom. I already told him I already love him. And run, um, Tom, run! <laughs> <laughs> you can still get out. Uh, but we really appreciate you taking the time off from work to come in here mm-hmm. and talk to us about our friend and mm-hmm. our brother and mm-hmm. um, the things that we need to start to change in law enforcement. Yeah. And we right. we can do a better job for the next generation coming up. So for those of you listening, again, our number at Under the Shield, it's a 24-7 number, 855-889-2348. Call us anytime. My personal cell, 334-324-3570. You can find us on undertheshield.com. If you want to talk to Ace, call me, reach out to me. I'll hook you up with him. If you'd like to talk to these guys, I'm sure that they would be happy Mm -hmm. to talk to anyone that reaches out Mm -hmm. to us. But please reach out to someone. You're not alone in this. We're all the same, man. Yep. And uh, we appreciate your service. We appreciate your family service. Please thank them for us. And we hope you will share this podcast with families and all first responders and military. And don't know what the surprise visit will be next week. We're working on it. We never do. It's always a shock to Ace. But... um, Please stay tuned and come back and see us next week. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We love you. See you later.